1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fightback from the week that was. On the first Monday of the new year, it was a familiar topic of discussion with Fightback's Zoomer squad, the devastation caused by COVID-19 in Ontario's long-term care homes. The governing Ford PCs, including the long-term care minister, are defending their management of the virus during the second wave. More than one in three nursing homes is in outbreak, but a spokesperson for Ontario's long-term care ministry claims the scope of the outbreaks is not as bad as during the first wave back in the spring. Libby Snymer was joined by Peter Muggridge, senior editor at Zoomer magazine, Bill Van Gorder, interim chief policy officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, vice president of Zoomer Media and chief marketing officer at CARP.
2: There's nothing encouraging about the numbers and there's nothing encouraging about the response to the numbers. And now in looking back, we can see what opportunities were wasted in the spring and summer when the pandemic was sort of in retreat. The first wave was over. What did they do then to get ready for this? And the minister is saying, well, the infections are up anyway. We can't stop that. But they can certainly have stopped what's going on inside the nursing homes had they been using that time period to get ready. And there's just no evidence that they did anything at all. Okay, Bill.
3: Uh, David is uh, right. Uh, uh, Nothing uh, nothing was done. And now we're getting, well, very little was done. And now we're getting the uh, uh, results. And, and, you know, one of the the biggest fears that uh, maybe hasn't been underlined yet is uh, the number of people in intensive care here in Ontario. Uh, It's over 85 percent capacity already. And that's with something around 350 people. And the experts are saying it could climb to five or six hundred Uh, people within a week or so so not only are our long-term care homes under pressure but the hospitals that are trying to support them are under the same kind of uh, pressure and there seems to be no let up in sight
4: Peter yeah I I just wanted to say um, something about the numbers because um, yes there are fewer cases and uh, so far it looks like the death rate is slightly lower but that's probably because uh, you know 23, 2,400 people already died of this disease in the first wave. So obviously, there's going to be fewer cases because there was there was such high fatality in the, the first time around. You know, so it doesn't mean they're doing a better job. It just means that the people who are most uh, vulnerable to the disease have already died of it. You know, well,
5: and uh, we're not that, that. She was comparing it uh, to the peak in the spring. We are not at the peak We're if we are peak, to believe, uh, experts, that that is coming and that will be something that we have not seen and something terrible.
4: Right, and, and that's supposed to be coming by, you know, the, the end of the month, the mid to end of month. We'll see then. And also another alarming thing, Libby, is the, the number of staff cases. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the numbers from the first wave. It seemed like it was about two patients for every staff Uh, case of COVID. This time, it seems like the staff cases are way up and and almost the same number of staff have COVID as as, uh, residents. So uh, again, that's troubling from a staffing point of view.
5: And and one thing I I have to pursue that I have heard anecdotally that a lot of the long-term care staffers are not taking the vaccine. That they aren't exactly anti-vax, but they don't want to be the first ones to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. David, do you that have any? That would be
2: disturbing if I haven't heard that statistically. But uh, and why would they not have confidence in the vaccine? Wow, it's a good question. But uh, that would that would not fill me with confidence as well. That the uh, can they can you decline that if you are going to be a frontline worker? Can you decline that for? Is that not a, like not wearing a mask, yeah,
5: I think you can decline it. Actually. Right, well, obviously
2: you can, but is it right that you should? Is well,
5: that, yes. what
2: if you don't want to wear a mask? Can you be a frontline health? No, worker? I don't think you can exactly
5: do that. Bill, you seem to be doing pretty well out there in Nova Scotia.
2: Yes, so far we
3: are. Although we'll see what happens after the uh, uh, after the the uh, holiday uh, break and people becoming uh, maybe a little bit more uh, less observant of the. Uh, the rules, uh, percentage-wise, given population, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're not doing as well as some people might uh, uh, like us uh, to be doing. But uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, Atlantic Canadians have to be just as careful as anybody else, because we can see from the Ontario example how quickly things can get out of control when officials don't pay attention to the basics of what their job and focus should be.
1: Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravat, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, and Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, Fightback's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Why is our vaccine rollout so slow? We had big promises from the government. At the national level in Ottawa and here in Ontario, military generals were named with Great fanfare to lead the charge, but we're falling behind other peer countries well down the pack. Meanwhile, there's a rallying cry among doctors begging the authorities to let them help get those shots into arms while so much of our supply is sitting in freezers. Libby was joined on Monday by Dr. Brian Hodges, chief medical officer of the University Health Network, Dr. David Jacobs, president of the Ontario Association of Radiologists, and Dr. Timothy Caulfield. A professor in the Faculty of Law in the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta.
6: It's been, let's say, less than ideal. Um, to be fair, um, this is a really tough situation, and I think you know, you know, despite the numbers that that you talked about, you know, most jurisdictions around the world, you know, are struggling. In the UK, I think they're at one point five percent, and and they're panicking also. Now, look, this is this is a, a unique situation, and. I'm hopeful, I'm always an optimist, that, that we are going to get better at this rapidly. There seems to be political will to get the, the vaccines out a, as quickly as possible. And most importantly, there seems to be political will to try to get uh, the coordination to be better. But look, the problems are, are about staffing, you know, getting people to, to actually do this. They're about um, the system that is already strained, partly because uh, of COVID. And, and as everyone knows, there are real technical challenges with with this. With this vaccine, so uh, and we also have to remember that, that you know this vaccine was approved really just just last month, so things are developing rapidly so my my summary is that it has not been ideal. I think everyone uh wished and, and thought and hoped we'd be further along. But I am, I am optimistic that we're going to get better rapidly. I mean, I, 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 we've got to be optimistic about this. Uh, and, and one of the things that we need to do is, and you touched on this, is get more people involved, more a variety of healthcare workers, pharmacists, nurses, uh, family physicians involved in, in the distribution.
5: Well, they are champing at the bit. To get involved, Dr. David Jacobs, I saw you tweeting about what was going on in Israel, and they're doing an amazing job. Okay, we we can't do that kind of an amazing job, but what do you see as the holdup here?
7: Well, the holdup is supply. So there are two types of vaccination strategies that you can uh, embark on. There's a targeted vaccination strategy and a whole population vaccination strategy. If you want to achieve herd immunity, which is the best way to protect your population, you have to have about 80% of the population vaccinated. We have 38 million people in Canada. You can do the math. But right now in, our, in Canada, we've only received about half a million doses. So we are miles away from being able to do a whole population vaccination strategy. Um, so what's left to us is a targeted vaccination strategy. And when you look at what we've done in terms of a targeted vaccination strategy, we've done pretty well considering what we've got. To go to each individual long-term care center to vaccinate the, the patients and staff is a very laborious process. So we, it's of no it should be of no surprise that we're that we're going through our vaccine supply relatively slowly. There's no particular province that's done poorly compared to the others. We're all at about. 30% utilization of the vaccine doses made available to us. So, what you're seeing is we're stuck with a targeted strategy because we do not have the supply necessary for the entire population. And that is a direct result of Trudeau ordering the vaccines late.
5: I was in shock, Dr. Hodges, when I heard. Canada, we don't even expect to get to the over 75 population until perhaps the end of April. How is that acceptable in any way?
3: Obviously, we know the enormous risk in long-term care. We've been all hospitals and and community agencies partnered to try to do everything we can with serial outbreaks in long-term care. So, The urgency is to get that population done, followed by retirement homes and congregate settings. But you're right. It would have to be a significant amount of vaccine arrived to vaccinate all members of the society who are over 70 or over 80. Um, I I noted that in the United Kingdom, their vaccination rollout strategy is in, in tiers of age groups. So, um, But yes, as, as has been said, uh, right now the focus is to um, urgently get uh, mass coverage in locations such as long-term care homes where there have been a significant number of lives lost and, and significant incidents of outbreaks.
1: Dr. Brian Hodges, Chief Medical Officer of the University Health Network. Dr. David Jacobs, President of the Ontario Association of Radiologists and Dr. Timothy Caulfield, a professor in the Faculty of Law and the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. You're listening to The Best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Komsik. Coming up after the break, debate over the growing list of politicians facing heat and resignations over travel
0: abroad while the rest of us are told to stay put. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick on Zuma Radio. Welcome back. It
1: turns out there's one thing some Canadian politicians of all stripes have in common. Hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do. But some of those federal and provincial politicians who traveled over the holidays while telling the rest of us to sacrifice and stay put have lost their jobs. Notably. Ontario Finance Minister Rod Phillips. Weighing in Tuesday were the Strategy Panel. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. John Delacourt, Vice President with Hill & Knowlton Strategies. And John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road.
8: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate and, and I must say, you know, Rod, I've known Rod and Rod's a friend and I've known him since we were both in youth politics and, and you never want to see a friend go through this kind of, um, agony and, and pain. Although, you know, he did admit, self-admittedly, that, that it was a, a bad decision and an error in judgment, which of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure he would regret, he would, he would change if he had, uh, if he had to do it over again. Um, but what it did is it illustrated sort of the, 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 the problem that Voters Canadians see with with our politicians, and that is you know uh, rules for thee, but not for me uh, and, and i 'm surprised that that we are seeing the amount of politicians who are doing this, especially because you know, we saw south of us in the U.S., a lot of the politicians, Democrats were getting in trouble, Republicans who, who were, you know, mayors and governors and, and, and senators who were actually you know, bucking the system and getting themselves into the trouble themselves. So, and that kind of news was percolating up here. So I'm surprised that we're seeing the, the amount of politicians who are doing it here in Canada. Uh, you know, Rod Phillips was, was sort of a, a test case because it was so high profile and, and it was so, um, you know, egregious by, by, by what he did. And, and of course, he admitted that he, he made the mistake. But, but I thought that the premier handled it well by, by, you know, asking him to come back and, and accepting his resignation. Uh, and I think that is now a test case for all other provinces. And, and we're also seeing it at the federal level as well, where we're seeing a number of politicians, uh, from all parties who have, who have now admitted that they've gone on vacation and are, are losing their, their portfolios or losing their titles, uh, in some cases, losing their jobs. I, I think it's it's just something that we're going to see a lot more of politicians can't be dictating to Canadians uh, and to their voters that you know that they have to stay home and do sacrifices while they're going away it just It just can't be done and I think the what we're seeing by way of ramifications is probably justified
5: Karen what's your take on on the whole thing as as somebody who has sacrificed? Yeah, and I, I think that's it,
9: Libby like, I think that
5: it's a cascade
9: effect, and I, you know I think that people. Um, if your business was closed, you were frustrated. Um, if you, you know, you see 64,000 people coming into Pearson Airport every day, uh, leading, you know, to the spread, and then you're frustrated, and then you hear that the vaccination clinics are closed over the holidays, and you get frustrated. But you're not really, you know, you have no one to be angry at, but but, you, but, it's building. It's like, why isn't, why isn't, like, why can't we get this? Why does not this This is making sense? And then you have politicians traveling to St. Bart's or Hawaii. And then you, there's, a, there's a focus for the anger. And so whether or not Rod Phillips should have been the focus of all our anger, probably not. But if, if things had been going better, if the numbers had been down, if the nursing homes weren't, uh, again, being impacted by the second wave, if the vaccination strategy was, was rolling out with more haste, I, I think people would have forgiven him taking a holiday because the man's been working hard for the last eight months, as have we all. But, but the fact that we are sacrificing and we're not seeing the benefits from our personal sacrifice and that then the politicians are, are then going off and doing something else. And we're not asking them to be held at a higher standard. We're just being asked to be held at the standard that we're asked to be held for.
5: John Delacourt, what's your take? Effectively
10: uh, creating this as a new priority and, as, and, 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 and I think heightening the urgency around dealing with this, that's of course, uh, at a federal level at a provincial level, that has to be has to be the focus of, of any cabinet committee focus on this pandemic right now and, and and moving forward, of course, I think uh, there, there will be um, due diligence and, uh, and and hopefully some some mechanism for greater accountability, much like an inquiry that uh, Karen has mentioned. Um, you know with this uh, I, I can tell you you know I had a uh, my father passed away in long term care and um, oh, I'm and- sorry to hear that and and i can tell you that this is you know um these these impacts um i i think we're we're going to see this as just a part of like an aging demographic uh in ontario but also across the country where this is just going to be uh i think the focus uh of, of of what what are priorities where governments are actually communicating effectively to canadians that they're getting 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 things done um and and so because of that i see this uh in as as probably the sleeper issue to come out of this pandemic.
1: John Delacorte, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz who make up Fightback's strategy panel. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. It started as a call to action on social media and it's mobilized a small army of doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers who want to help in the effort to administer COVID vaccines. The hashtag is simply Ready to vaccinate family doctors, nurses, and pharmacists who have experience in vaccinating large numbers of people. So far, the rollout's been slow. Libby talked with Dr. Steve Lindahl, an emergency physician in York Region, and family physicians Dr. Michelle Cohen and Dr. Soho Gandhi, a past president of the Ontario Medical Association.
11: I think there's been a really a a, a really good hard look at the bureaucracy that's involved here because I think that there have been a number of hurdles that have been put up um, by by bureaucrats to try and get the vaccine into the long-term care system. Um, you know, one for example, just uh, just yesterday I had a briefing on this, and, you know, we had some talks with some bureaucrats who were talking about, well, you know, we need to make sure that the long-term care facilities fill out an attestation form and that they're able to do the vaccines. Well, I mean, come on, long-term care homes do flu vaccines every single year. This is not rocket science. And to make people go through that kind of ridiculous paperwork to say, oh, you know, are you able to give a vaccine, is really, uh, is really an impediment to it. And, and I think it's a situation where, quite frankly, a lot of the bureaucracy has has failed. You know, it's failed the premier, it's failed the health minister, but more importantly, it's failed the people of Ontario, because I think the bureaucrats have really um, not taken, uh, you know, not taken a very consultative approach to this with the actual providers. And I think that if they had done that, that things would have gone much more smoothly.
5: Interesting, Dr. Cohen, that when it comes to uh, permissions and stuff, I remember having a conversation probably two months ago with people who were saying, you know, if if you need permissions to administer vaccines, people in long-term care should get on that now.
12: Yeah, absolutely. There have been, how many months are we into this pandemic, knowing that a vaccine would likely be one of the main tools for getting out of the pandemic, and we're still at this point where we're just, the government seems to be just starting to figure out how to do distribution of the vaccine without engaging any community partners at this point at all, as far as I can tell, at least in my region, the community doctors have not, no one's reached out to us, to any of the offices in the community, to anyone who's willing to go into long-term care. Um, anyone outside of that hospital network. so it, it, it doesn't really make sense to me that this hasn't already been thought out, planned out, uh, you know written out, discussed, and, and really and to, you know, be ready to be, to be put into place. And here we are weeks later and it feels like the first steps are sort of finally being taken in this fumbling, awkward way um, without really the, the proper expertise. There's no primary care at the table, um, public health it feels, that to some degree, has been sidelined, and uh, and and the policy failures are obvious as a result.
5: Doctor Flynnell was a mistake. Was it a mistake to put a general in charge of this?
3: Um, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for Doctor Hill. Uh, sorry for General Hillier. Um, I was very pleased when it was first announced. Um, I, I, I do agree, though, that there, there seems to be an overly bureaucratic approach to this. Uh, I mean, it, people are often saying, "Oh, we're in a war." Well, when you're a war, you mobilize your soldiers. You don't have them sit there and uh, sign uh, consent forms saying that they're willing to go to war.
5: You you call full press, Doctor Cullen.
12: Um, so I think we need to engage community partners. Um, you know, out out in the community, we, as Doctor Gandhi said, we know our patients best. We know our community best, and we know how to distribute this vaccine best. So there, it is absolutely ridiculous that we have not there have not there has not been any outreach or any connection made. Between, uh, between Toronto, between the, the people in charge of distributing this vaccine, and any of the communities, particularly the smaller communities, because we are the ones who are going to ultimately be providing primary care to people in this area. So to not involve us in this is, is just part of the policy failure, just an example of the extreme policy failures with this rollout.
5: It's really, really disappointing. And uh, Dr. Flindell. Sorry, I, I would just urge the
3: politicians to... Uh Drop the bureaucratic barriers that have been put up. Uh, let the healthcare providers uh, do what they're trained to do and want to do uh, in huge numbers, and uh, let's let's get the doses we do have into people as quickly as we can.
11: Dr. Gandhi. Yeah. So I hope the politicians take a message that we're here to help and we want to help. We want to help the people of Ontario and we want us to recover. We have ten thousand active family practices across the province. I believe it's reasonable for us to deliver 100 vaccines per doctor every week. That's a million a week and that'll end the pandemic pretty quickly.
1: Family physicians, Dr. Sohel Gandhi and Michelle Cohen, and Dr. Stephen Flindahl, an emergency physician in York region. I'm Bob Komsik, and this is Uma Radio's best to fight back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was,
0: and the fight back knockout call of the week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Komsik. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the
1: news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Pat in Toronto has an idea to ensure more long-term care homes don't experience COVID outbreaks.
4: I think it's very easy to sit back and give the solutions. I would suggest that all who are making comments try running for government and find out that when you are in government, you are in a governance position. You are not a frontline worker. That said, why don't we simply look at those facilities that have the best results and just make sure that we enforce that in all the other facilities.
1: Tony from Keswick has trouble with traveling politicians.
11: I got a friend of mine who just became a grandpa for the first time and his son's in Ireland being a doctor. Uh, He's got one more year left and he couldn't be there for the birth of his his grandson. He wanted to go. It's him and his wife and uh, they sat here just to be good Canadians. You know we are good Canadians. We do what we're told. And then the politicians, I don't know what they are because I don't think they're Canadian because they do what they want to do, not what they're told to do or what they tell people to do. Um, I got my, my, my cousin's brother just passed away in Italy and he wanted to go down and he couldn't go. So I'll just say to you, that's a slap in the face to all these people that are, are, are doing this due diligence see, of, of staying home, doing what they're told. And then these idiots go out there and uh, uh, idiots come in all form, uh, educated idiots, non-educated idiots, and, and political idiots uh, go and do this,
0: you know. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the
1: winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Mary in North York, who had this message for politicians who vacationed abroad. Shame on
10: every one of those politicians! It's disgusting. Not only should they be all tossed to the curb. They should all be given a hefty fine. My husband's been 10 months in, um, in a nursing home before COVID hit. I took him out all the time, days out up north just for a beautiful drive. 10 months he has not seen outside. He's in a tiny room with a television and I travel and visit him sitting there. All I'm doing is he wants to go for a nice long drive, and these idiots do this? Are you kidding me? Shame on every
1: one of them. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackzoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Compsy. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when
0: we'll round up the rest of The Best of Fight Back. The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Neimer.